really understanding people on a personal level is I think the most important thing that I learned that the more that you can really get into the weeds of understanding what makes your employees tick is going to be the most important and impactful thing that you can do. It's not just their work ethic, but it's what are they worried about? What are they afraid of? What are they excited about? What are their goals outside of work? And the more you know about those individuals, the better you can coach and develop them to be a better person, both inside of work and outside of work. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Introducing Jake Heeb, the Vice President of Operations at Wishing You Well. Join us on the Second Command podcast as we welcome Jake Heeb, the dynamic VP of Operations. Join us on today's Second Command podcast episode as we welcome Jake Heeb, the dynamic VP of Operations at Wishing You Well. Jake's journey from imposter syndrome to self-care advocate and culture champion is one you won't want to miss. Jake will share his experiences on shedding imposter syndrome and embracing self-care as crucial elements of effective leadership. Discover how he's harnessed these insights to drive personal and professional growth. At Wishing You Well, Jake emphasizes the importance of hiring for culture fit above all else. Learn how this approach has contributed to the company's success and created a harmonious work environment. Discover the power of employee-driven clubs at Wishing You Well, where teams collaborate on shared interests and hobbies. These clubs promote camaraderie and productivity, adding an exciting dimension to the workplace. As Wishing You Well has grown from 10 to 70 employees, Jake will highlight the transformative changes in their company culture and gain valuable insights on navigating growth while preserving core values. Jake believes in the power of listening to employees for continuous improvement, explore how Wishing You Well maintains open lines of communication and leverages employee feedback to drive positive change. And finally, we'll delve into Jake's integration efforts as he shares his experiences of successfully merging an acquired company into Wishing You Well's operations, uncover his strategies for seamless integration and strengthening the overall organization. You won't want to miss out on this wisdom and inspiration that Jake Heeb, the VP of Operations at Wishing You Well, brings to our Second in Command podcast. Tune in to discover the transformative power of shedding imposter syndrome, prioritizing self-care, and fostering a thriving company culture. You'll also want to check out this episode on our Second in Command podcast YouTube channel as well. Now let's dive into the episode. So Jake, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much, Cameron. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you today. It was great um, actually meeting you for the first time in person. We met a couple of weeks ago at our COO Alliance, the COO Connect event in Scottsdale. So it's cool to be able to hang out with you and get to meet you a little bit there. Why don't we start a little bit about um, kind of what your growth has been with the COO Alliance? Because you're just kind of coming into your second year now. That was your first in-person event that you came to. Talk to me a little bit about some of the growth that you've had from from being a member and what it was like being at that event. And then we'll dive into what Wishing UL does. Um, sure. So when I actually got into this position, it was a year ago this month. Uh, my CEO has been been coached by you for a couple of years prior to that. And I was able to take part in some of those coaching sessions. And we both knew immediately when I when I took this position that the COO Alliance was for me and that was going to be my next step of growth and development, both personally and professionally for myself. 
what I've learned, um, and you've you've said it before that you kind of see this as a three-year program. And as I'm just renewing year two, I'm really starting to understand that and get the feeling of that. Year one, um, there was a level of imposter syndrome when you first kind of get into the mix of, of these groups and meetings. And where I'm at today is I know that I'm no longer an imposter and I'm actually excited to join these group conversations and, and not be afraid or timid to speak my mind um, and to share areas of strength with other people or experiences. that. And so it's really, it broke through that barrier for me, which has been wonderful. And it's kind of created that next level of excitement for me. I love that. It's really interesting to see how many COOs, how many people that are in the second in command role have that imposter syndrome. I mean, I've certainly had it my whole career. It's kind of like every day, every month, every year, whatever we're building is now the biggest thing we've ever done. Everything just keeps getting bigger. And it always feels like, oh crap, I probably don't have the skills to even be doing this, but nobody has the skills to be doing what we're doing. Like we're all just figuring this shit out together, right? So awesome that you were able to shed some of that. Now, you said that coming to the CO Alliance, the CO Connect event that we just had in April, that you said, and you said, I don't want to come off this wrong, the wrong way, but it was, it was really life-changing. How, what do you think it did for you? What was it that opened up? What, um, one of the things that we said was the cracks are where the light comes in. I'm curious where some of the light came in for you. It was huge. So it was the one thing that I needed that I didn't realize that I needed. And it, um, it came down to self-care. I realized that you know, the type of person that I am and the type of position that I'm in, I am geared to helping others all the time. I want to go up to everyone else and take the burden off of their shoulders and put it onto mine and carry that up the mountain and just make things easier. But what happens is you get so wrapped up in helping other people, you forget that the most important person is yourself. And the more that you're able to focus in on yourself and help yourself, the better you're actually able to help other people, the more that you can help other people. And that was the, probably the most eye-opening experience for me in that event was really slowing down and focusing on myself first and foremost. And that is going to be the ticket and the golden key to helping everyone else. Yep. It's huge. And, and it goes... There's a saying in Latin, <clears throat> I think it's men sano and corpore sano, which means a healthy mind and a healthy body. And we have to be able to, as leaders, take care of ourselves so that we show up with the right energy. We have to take care of ourselves so that we show up with the right mindset. We have to take care of ourselves so that we show up and we can respond to situations instead of reacting to them. And then we also have to remember that we also need to be role models in our roles as COOs or as VP ops, where we need other people in the company to look at at the way we're acting as leaders, the way that we're showing up as leaders and be inspired by that. And the only way we can be inspiring is to be showing up as our best selves. And if we don't practice that self-care, then, you know, that's tough to do. Absolutely. Um, and I've seen that firsthand literally in the last two weeks since, since coming home from that event. Um, I you can call it meditation or whatever you want, but I make it a point to spend at least 15 minutes quietly with myself every morning. And that's how I start my day. I want to make sure that I'm okay with myself first and foremost. And it has had dramatic effects on my mental state to where I'm not coming into the office every morning and stressed out. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got X, Y, and Z to do on my calendar. And I don't have any time to do it. I come in with a smile on my face every day. And the first questions I ask are, how are you doing today? And I genuinely care about the response. 
that's that's the ticket right there. I genuinely care about the response because I've seen so many leaders in the past and I experienced one 30 years ago, my old VP, and I'm not going to say his name. We had our one-on-one, like our weekly coaching meeting, our weekly one-on-one where he was coaching me. And he started off the meeting by saying, how was your weekend? And I stopped and I'm like, stop. You don't give a shit. Like you actually don't give a shit how my weekend was. You've asked me the same fucking question for 15 weeks in a row. Let's just cause, you know, stop on the bullshit. Like if you actually cared, then I'm going to answer, but you don't. And it it frustrated me because he didn't really care. And I think when we start showing up and really caring about our people, they're going to go through brick walls for us. But you, you've built that kind of a culture at wishing you well. Talk about the the culture that you guys have developed and, and you've been there for seven plus years. So talk to us about the culture, what it's like today and, and kind of how you built that kind of a company culture that you've got. Oh, absolutely. Um, thank you for that question. Um, it's probably what excites me the most about wishing you well and um, probably where I feel I've had the most impact um, on the company and other employees in the company. Um, starting out um, when I was warehouse manager, I started out with five people in the warehouse and was directly responsible for building that team as we were scaling and growing. At the time, over the course of about five years when I was in that position, we were we were needing to double our workforce in the warehouse every year like clockwork. And so it went from five people where it was really easy to manage five people and know what five people are doing and still handle my day to day. But as that team kept growing, I really had to understand there's there's a point and Tyler actually helped me, my CEO, by um, teaching me the pizza method. Um, I remember him coaching me on that at first when I had about 14 people under me. And I'm like, man, this is just getting a little bit intense. I don't know how. How I'm gonna how I'm gonna break through this and and keep managing everyone on the same level. And he was like, Jake, you can only manage enough people that you can share a pizza with. So now is the time to start breaking things up and having supervisor level positions and those kinds of things. And so really developing all of those positions, and then in developing those positions and hiring those particular types of people, one of the most important and insightful things I've learned, and you learn very quickly when you're dealing with those people on a day-to-day basis, how to hire the correct people. That was probably the number one thing that I learned was hiring for personality and attitude over just hiring strictly because of the skill set. Especially, you know, for a warehouse associate position, we can teach you what needs to happen in the warehouse. That's that's easy to do. We can't teach you and mold your attitude. We can't really teach your personality. Those are traits that are already with you. So that's what we really started focusing on and hiring for. And as we started changing that and really having that dramatic shift in how we hire, we found that the culture was it just kind of started building upon itself and kind of started, you know, and it was and it was an ideology that Tyler had from the inception. And so part of that was as we're growing and developing these people, you know, Tyler's like, this is exactly what I want. And yeah, how can we do more of this? And how can we really make these people happy? 
Um, he had a, a really unique understanding of, you know, everyone has to come to work. This is not a glorified position. You have to stand on your feet. You're working on monotonous, boring things all day long. How can we make this fun and make people like, get excited to, to wake up and come to work every day? And, you know, as we developed those teams and as our teams grew, we then started really like surveying people and understanding like, okay, what do you want to see at work? What are the things you want to be doing? And today we're at the point now where our culture has driven all of our people to create clubs. We have a garden club. We have a hiking club. We do volunteer time off. Um, we do an angel tree program. And it's it's really unique because every everyone in the company starts developing all of these friendships. And you find that there's all of these groups of friends that are doing things inside of work, outside of work. They're hanging out on their break. They're going golfing after work together. And it just really builds a, a, an amazing camaraderie and team. And this is going across different functional areas too, right? Like you've got people in the gardening club from the warehouse and marketing and operations, or is it pretty much just in you know one, one division that they're all getting together? Um, it's across the board. So that was one of the things we really try and do as well as every one of these clubs, everyone has the ability to to join, to participate, to be a part of it. And that that's broken down some barriers as well between the office and the warehouse where, you know, it's different levels of work. There's different kind of mindsets around that work. So there was almost like an invisible barrier between the warehouse workers and the office workers. and these developments of these clubs and some like after after work activities, Friday fun days where, you know, we get together and we had uh, we celebrated Cinco de Mayo a couple of weeks ago and had like a margarita party and did pinatas. It's really about like finding those events and those things that people are interested in from all over the business so that they can really get together and get to know each other. I love it. Was there any kind of stirring the pot that had to happen to make those clubs get started or was that an organic thing? Um, there was a little bit of stirring the pot, so to speak. Um, I actually created the first club. Um, it was a garden club. I had always been interested in gardening and found a couple of people that were interested in the same thing. One of the things I feel like you almost have to encourage people and and show them like, hey, this is actually you know, it's here at work, but it's not a work function. It's not something that you have to like, Yeah. there's not, a, I don't know, a piece to it that you're like responsible for or required to do. This is just a fun thing where we get together and we, we learn more about how to plant, you know, vegetables. And at the end of the summer, we're able to like eat all of those vegetables together and bring them into the office. And, um, you know, we even share them with the community. Sometimes I think last year we, we had like three or 400 cucumbers that came out of our garden. But but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. That's really cool. Um, and, I, and I like the fact that you identified that like all of the people inside of your company, when you start hiring the right culture people, they almost become fire starters and sparks of the culture, right? That's where the culture starts from is the right people. You know, Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines, when they asked him, how do you get all your employees to smile like they do? He said, we hire smiley people, right? It's not... You can't teach someone to be happy. So you just hire happy people and those people will show up at work happy. Have you had to change the way that you've approached culture as the company has scaled? I mean, you're now 70 plus employees. When you started, I think there were only 10. 
how has the company had to change and adapt from a culture perspective with scale? Great question. And it's actually had to change a lot. Um, So starting out, and I believe you've said this before, and I can actually attest to this as being true. Starting out as a really small company, the CEO and and the, the leaders are really the ones that are responsible for kind of creating that culture and embedding the culture into the people and kind of developing that. We're, we're learning that we're at the point right now with our size where we need to start making some shifts so that the employees are more calling the shots on what's the next, what's the next thing that we're going to do to improve our culture. And instead of having it come from the leadership down towards the people, it's actually the people that are feeding us with all of that information. And once we started figuring out like, oh, we've got a group of people here and this is what they're interested in. And, you know, before we would just guess, "Uh, I think it's maybe these two or three things. Let's get a food truck. I think they like tacos, you know, and they come up to us and they're like, no, we want to do something, you know, totally outside of the box. We want to get a dunk tank. We're like, what in the world? Okay, let's get a dunk tank if that's what you guys want. And then you get more participation in those sort of things because people don't see that as, oh, management or leadership is kind of like pushing this on me or forcing me to do something. It turns into, oh, management or leadership is allowing us this opportunity. Yeah, that's cool. It's very similar in in many ways to um, kind of the way that we teach kids how to ask Santa for gifts, right? If, If the kids write the letter to Santa Claus and then the parents read the letter and just buy what the kids said they wanted. The kids are all like, oh my gosh, Santa read the letter. It's like, no, your mom read the letter. Um, and, but if we try to figure out what kids want, we always guess wrong. So you just ask the kids, what do you want? They tell us we do that. They're happy. And the same thing with culture. If you ask your employees, it sounds like that's what you're saying. If you just ask the employees what they want, they're telling you and you do those things. It's easy to make a great culture because you're just listening to them. Is that, is that kind of your approach? Absolutely. And we're in the process of doing that right now. So one of the one of I guess the struggles with that is because we're just starting that off, people aren't as motivated to speak up just yet. You know, we'll ask a group of 20 people, hey, we want some exciting ideas. What do you guys want to do for the next Friday fun day? And you'll get crickets for a little while. I'm like, what do you guys just want me to pick something? Like, seriously, like what do you want? And then, okay, yeah, I think this would be a cool idea. Yeah, I think this would be a cool idea. And then it starts to gain traction once everyone else sees that idea come to fruition. Then the next time they're like, okay, the next time Jake's asked me for for this idea, I am going to speak up because it's he proved to me that he's going to do this if I ask for it. Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right, I wrote another book. But this book isn't just another book for me, it's actually for you, the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The Second in Command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, 
and successfully onboarding and working with them, and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The second command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays. Discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. Love it. All right. So when COVID hit, your company had to adapt as all companies did, but a a, a good portion of your company's employees had to come to work every day during COVID because you ran warehouses. Is that right? That's correct. So how did you operate that way when some people had to start coming to work and then another part of the company, you know, were working from home? How did you navigate that in terms of you know, employees, I mean, it's obvious, like you have to do your job, you're in an office or you're in a warehouse. Was there any lasting effects from that? And and did you guys culturally go back to all employees being in the office afterwards? Or now are you more of a hybrid organization? Or where, where are you with respect to that? Um, sure. Great question. Um, so COVID obviously changed the world for everyone. Um, for us, we had a kind of, um, like you're saying, this, this unique opportunity where we have warehouse people, we they literally can't work from home. We have to have them there producing. What we did was for a month, we had our office staff work from home and then we were considered an emergency um, company that was allowed to stay in operation. So myself and the entire warehouse staff would still come into the office every day. Um, Since we had the entire building, we were able to spread everyone out, do all of the PPE that needed to be done so everyone was safe. But then after those 30 days, what we saw was culture started shifting and started changing in a direction we didn't want it to go in. We started seeing people starting to grow apart from each other. And especially with that barrier of like it's this invisible barrier between the warehouse and the office that started getting really, really thick and, you know, started getting kind of opaque instead of clear. And so we immediately started bringing people back to the office and started requiring that they come back to the office. And we were like, we'll set you up with, you know, all the PPE. We're going to make sure that you're safe and, you know, but you're going to be in the office with us because our culture is built around being together. Um, We've got an amazing facility and amazing business or amazing um, building. And when no one is here to use that facility, it, you know, that's a level of the culture that's just not effective anymore. Right. So if I, if I put a gun to your head and said, Jake, like, other than the warehouse, uh, your company has to go remote for 24 months. Everybody's going to be remote. Nobody comes into the office except warehouse. What would you have to do or change or adapt? Um, or what do you think your strengths would be culture-wise that would survive that? I think um, what we would have to change is we'd really have to get into the digital side of getting people together for group events and things like that, doing those like jam sessions and things. We're still able to get everyone together and have fun. We're still able to meet. We're still able to have huddles and understand where our goals and objectives are. But I think really the main thing that I would foresee happening is 
still being able to get people together digitally to still have fun. And that's kind of the bread and butter of our culture is we want to have fun. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. Um, let's talk about uh, your growth in the organization. So, you know, again, you started in the company quite quite early. You started managing and leading the warehouse team. Now you're running as VP of operations. How have you had to adapt and grow as a leader over the seven years that you've been there? Have you had any specific areas that you've really focused on? Um, absolutely. So in starting as that warehouse manager, um, I had been a warehouse manager prior to that um, back home in Indiana, but I managed facilities. I wasn't managing people. And so this was my first position where I was directly responsible for managing people. And, you know, I've always kind of had a knack for management and leadership. I've always been uh, the captain of every sporting team that I've been a part of. Um, and I just, I get excited to get other people excited about something. And I really understood that I have that knack. And so I really took that and ran with it. And what I, what I mean is really understanding people on a personal level is I think the most important thing that I learned that the more that you can really get into the weeds of understanding what makes your employees tick is going to be the most important and impactful thing that you can do. But it's not, it's not just their work ethic, but it's what are they worried about? What are they afraid of? What are they excited about? What are their goals outside of work? And the more you know about those individuals, the better you can coach and develop them to be a better person, both inside of work and outside of work. And in learning that, I've actually, that's what's got me excited and my personal development is kind of driving my professional development now where I have learned and I get so excited to develop people and to really get into the weeds of what makes them tick so that I can be that coach to get them to the next level if it's personally or professionally. So I go back and I read books and I look at webinars and do those things so that I know how to best coach people. Um, another unique thing is, you know, starting out at, with, with a really small team, I was coaching at the associate level. I was coaching the people that were actually doing the work. And then as that progressed, it turned into now I have to learn how to coach other managers and other supervisors on how to coach the people doing the work. Sure. And that's a totally different level of coaching and leadership that you have to do when these people aren't the ones doing the work anymore. They're the ones that have to coach the next level of people. Um, and I found that really, really, really interesting. And, and one of the things that I actually enjoy most is it's almost like coaching a coach. That makes sense. It is, it is very much like coaching a coach as well. So were there, were there specific things that you started to do differently to then coach those, those more mid-level managers? Was there a specific approach? Did you kind of walk us through the, the specific things you did differently? Um, sure. So one of, I'd say two of the main things that I've done were sitting down and having meetings with people. At the time, I didn't know that they were called skip-level meetings. Um, but sitting down and like meeting with people, going to lunch with people that are outside of the office and really diving into, you know, it was funny when I first started doing it, people were like, oh my God, Jake is asking me to lunch. What is this about? And, you know, I'm like this, I just want to know more about you. I just want to learn more about you. And uh, I have a really unique example, actually, of a, a person I was able to do that with. 
and found out that they were struggling personally without telling anyone in the company that they had just lost their their mother had moved away their wife had just gotten divorced they don't have any friends they they go home and they sit and they sulk wow and this this was somebody with you know a really bad attitude but had the was the first person in the warehouse every day was the last person to leave was the go-getter all the time. And I sat down with him, I'm like, why are you so, you're just angry all the time. And then he shared that information with me. And him and I worked together on developing a plan for him on his personal life to how can we get you into some groups of like-minded individuals so that you know what you like. And one of the things that he said, and this is so cool, he was like, I love going to the dog park. It's one of my favorite things to do is just sit on the bench at the dog park. And I was like, Tyler, my wife loves going to the dog park. I don't necessarily care to go, but she loves to go. You and my wife should get together and go to the dog park together. And they do that now almost every single weekend. That literally just that little bit of change in his personal life dramatically affected his attitude inside our work facility. It's cool that you actually cared about people to that level. I mean, that's something we've been trying to get people at the CEO Alliance to do, but you've been doing it for years, which is amazing. You guys went through an interesting period in the last 12 months where you just acquired a company in Cincinnati. Can you walk us through what that acquisition was like and what it was like, you know, in the in the months post-acquisition and starting to integrate them into the organization? Love to be able to learn from you there. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so we did acquire uh, it was actually like a piece of another company, their their warehouse operations and their fulfillment operations in Cincinnati, Ohio. In doing so, one of the main things we wanted to do was we we really wanted to look at the team that they had established first and foremost and understand how they hired those people and how that differed from how we hired people. What we found out was most of their staff, about 75% of it was was temps. And um, we have been through the run the muck with temps in and out of our warehouse. And we have found out that that is not the way that we want to do things. That does not that does not improve our culture. And that's not a positive way to do things. We want to hire people and hire the correct people to come in and do the job. So we went through and we interviewed every single one of those candidates in, in those positions and found that there was only three people out of about 14 that we decided we wanted to keep. Those three people stayed on board with us and then we immediately depressed the accelerator and had to start filling those additional positions. Um, luckily, um, I'm not as responsible for hiring people anymore. We have a VP of people and Heather that has really taken our culture to the next level and has, has been a rock star in that position for us. Um, she's been able to hire people very, very quickly for us. So that we didn't we didn't lose out, you know, a massive amount of lack of, of work being done out there because we just decided to cut ties with everyone. I will say in cutting those ties, it was easy to do because it was temps. So we it was a matter of contacting the temp agency and being like, we're done. We don't need you anymore. And then we start hiring for that. One of the unique things that we're still actively working on six months later is still really embedding the culture as it is here in Colorado. It is only a warehouse out in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
We haven't had the time yet to develop that facility in the same way we've developed our Colorado facility with a coffee bar and an in-house gym and, you know, all of these um, frills and exciting things. So really it's kind of back to square one. Um, it was November that we took it over. So it's been about six months. When are you going to be layering those things in then? Because it's been, how long has it been now? Has it been nine months? It is. And what, what we've actually okay. learned is that when are you going to start, when are you going to start layering in those parts of the business then? The gyms building. and the coffee That's bars, and that kind of stuff. Is that coming? Um, so we've started a little bit of that process. They've got a pool table and a ping pong table in there right now. They've started doing their, you know, Friday fun days and getting a food truck or doing some barbecues and things like that. So we're starting to kind of develop that culture and, and what we're doing is we're letting them start to call the shots. What is it that you want to do? Um, we just asked them about that. I think yesterday or the day before, because we've got a summer party coming up and we're like, we're not going to be able to fly, you know, everyone from Cincinnati to Colorado or vice versa. So we're going to have two separate parties. What do you guys want to do in, in Ohio? Here's the budget. Tell us what you want to do. You know, we're going to play volleyball, but that doesn't mean that you guys, you guys can go golfing, go mini, go putt putting, you know, go do whatever it is that makes you happy. The, um, you've been out there how many times since the acquisition? Um, I want to say like seven, seven times. So seven times in seven months, you've been to Cincinnati from this acquisition. Was that anticipated? Um, was that just decided? And what were you doing in most of those visits? Was it culture? Was it observing? Um, can you walk us through what it was like? Sure. Um, so initially, we did know that I needed to be out there to visit a lot to really to set the team up for success and to make sure that that we turned that into a profitable function very quickly. Um, the other piece of it was we knew we didn't want temps. So we knew we needed some people out there to help with the work that was actively happening. So what we started doing was myself, um, our warehouse manager in Colorado, and, and then we'd bring a team of three to four associates with us. And we'd go to Ohio on about a two week cadence with additional helpers and the three to four associates would go into the Ohio warehouse. They'd be kind of teaching and coaching the staff in there on, hey, this is how we do things with wishing well now. This is this is how things are different. And they kind of became the trainers for us while myself and the warehouse manager really were on the observational level. And we were observing, okay, how is everything set up in the warehouse? How is inventory flowing through here? How are you reviewing employees and and how are you talking to employees and putting them on a pip and all of those kinds of things? And we found that like <laughs> it needed a lot of work. And so after the first one to two visits, we were like, yep, we need to keep coming back until we feel competent. And it wasn't until about a month, month and a half ago that we started feeling that confidence. We've got the team built up to where we don't need to bring in additional help anymore. Um, and now it's to the point where, you know, Heather can go out there and can really start showcasing our benefits and and really start highlighting our culture more and getting people excited to be a part of Wishing You Well. I love it. You know, in your role in, in the VP Ops role, I'm sure there have been some failures and some stressful, tough times. Can you walk us through, you know, a couple of things that you've done that were hard or that you struggled at or failed at? Um, sure. And what the lessons were from those? Absolutely. 
Um, initially, and I talked about it before, but uh, I was learning how to hire the right people. Um, I learned very quickly how to hire the right people based on attitude and personality. The pitfalls there were when you have to deal with people with bad attitudes and a shitty personality, and every day they're coming in and causing more drama or more problems. You just learn. You learn really fast. Some of the other areas that I've learned, a good example is like I've learned that I'm weak at financials. I've never learned about financials other than an accounting class one time in college. Um, I don't really know how to budget correctly. But what I do in those times is I, I see that as a learning opportunity. And I'm like, okay, I am weak at financials. This is something I want to get better at. So I start setting myself up for success by learning more about that, both from our accounting team and then also going and um, falling back into the COO Alliance. In all those areas of weaknesses that I have, I'm able to lean on this, this group of like-minded, wickedly smart people um, that have all been through similar situations before. Another thing is, you know, I've I've been new in this role. My 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 degree is in outdoor recreation and resource management. I thought I wanted to be a park ranger for the rest of my life and kind of stumbled into this role and then really learned that I actually love getting to know people and developing and coaching people, but I don't know what's around the next corner. I don't know what to expect next week or next month. The best thing that I can do is set myself up for success by surrounding myself with those like-minded people and making sure that I'm always learning as much as I possibly can. I love it. All right, let's go back to the 22-year-old Jake Heap. What advice would you give the 21 or 22-year-old Jake that maybe you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then? Take care of yourself first and foremost, and that's going to be the best way that you can take care of everyone else around you. Um, I've always known that I wanted to help other people, but most recently I've learned that the best way to do that is to start by looking within. I love it. It's the golden thread. It's how we started off at the beginning and how we're wrapping up at the end. I'm glad that it's still top of mind for you. Jake Heeb, the Vice VP of Operations for wishing you well. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Thank you so much, Cameron. It was it was awesome. I enjoyed every minute of it. Appreciate it. For everybody listening, make sure you check us out on the YouTube channel as well as everywhere that you listen to podcasts and devour the episodes and share them with some friends. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.